Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Randall. Yes. This is Luke. What's up, man? Hey, man. Did you know that 30 years ago, this week, was the release of the Indigo Girls self-titled record? I did not know that, but that makes me really happy. You remember what the first track is on Indigo Girls self-titled? Closer to Fine. Closer to Fine. Could you just sing a little bit of that for me? Oh, yeah, dude. I went to the doctor, I went to the fountain, I looked to children, oh, I messed it up, went to the mountain, looked to children, I drank from the fountain, there's more than one answer to these questions, pointing me in a crooked line, and the less I seek my source for some definitive, the closer I am to find, yeah. Thanks for that, man. Yeah, hey, literally anytime. All right. Well, hey, we're going to start the episode now. All right. Y'all enjoy. See ya. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 1, Episode 3, Commercial Controversy. Today, we're looking at the week that ended Saturday, March 4th, 1989. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode three of 30 Pop. The last couple of weeks have been so much fun getting to sit down with folks I love and reminisce on things that make us super nostalgic. But today, we're going to shift gears a bit. This week, I got the chance to chat with some folks who are too young to remember the world of 1989 and get their take on some of the events from this week in history that were controversial for all the wrong reasons. I also had the amazing opportunity to visit with a brilliant actress who appeared in some of the most important film and TV projects of the last few decades, including one incredible film that took the box office by storm 30 years ago this week. Before we jump into those conversations, though, here's what was happening in the world the first week of March 1989. As I mentioned on the last episode, this was Bobby Brown's sixth and final week at the top of the Billboard charts with Don't Be Cruel, and pop sensation Debbie Gibson's first week with the number one single in the country. Lost in Your Eyes, the music video for which you should definitely watch before next week's episode. As you already heard, this week marks 30 years since the Indigo Girls' double-platinum-selling self-titled album released as well, and I can't imagine many albums holding up over 30 years as well as that one has. Another album that's held up, though, was the debut record from hip-hop trio De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising, released on March 3rd of 1989. There were some pretty huge debuts in television as well. On February 28th, Coach, starring Craig T. Nelson and Jerry Van Dyke, premiered on NBC with its first of 200 episodes spanning nine seasons. A few days later, on March 4th, Disney gave us Chippendale Rescue Rangers, along with its irritatingly memorable theme song, which has been stuck in my head for a good solid three days as of the release of this episode. Thanks, Disney. The real excitement on television this week, though, had less to do with a TV show and more to do with a commercial, specifically a two-minute-long Pepsi commercial entitled Make-A-Wish. I sat down with my millennial friends, Zach and Becca, to talk about it. 
So with me today are two of my good friends, Zach McKenzie. Zach, welcome to the show. Hey. And Becca Allen. Becca. Hello. So wonderful to have you guys on 30 Pop, especially since you are the youngest guests that I've had yet on the show. Thank you. Were you even alive in 1989? I wasn't. I was born in 1990. I'm young. That's perfect. That's what we need on this show. It was December 88. December 88. So you're just a baby. So the things that we have been talking about on the show so far and that we will continue to talk about for the next few years will probably be pretty unfamiliar to you. Yeah? I don't have like an actual moment with them when they first happened, but I've gone back and seen things and listened to things. You're familiar with them. I go to Barbarella. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say Barbarella because not everybody knows what that is. I don't know what that is. Okay. Well, it's a dance bar here in Houston and they have an 80s night on Saturday. I'm always curious what an 80s night is like for someone who wasn't alive in the 80s. Most of my friends just complain because they don't know how to dance to 80s music. It's real jumpy dance. I just explained it. Jump around, move your arms, try not to listen to the problematic lyrics. That's true. (laughs) Speaking of problematic, so that's actually something I I want to talk to you about today. I want to read to you the Wikipedia entry for notable events in 1989. This happened on March 2nd and it's a little problematic today. Uh So I'm just going to read to you. Here's the entry on Wikipedia. March 2nd. Pepsi's controversial advertisement with Madonna and her song Like a Prayer airs during NBC's showing of The Cosby Show. <laughs> so this was a huge deal. One, because it happened during The Cosby Show. The Cosbys were like symbols for like wholesome family goodness, mm-hmm. which is just wonderful <laughs> irony. And Madonna was quite the opposite. Madonna was constantly sort of slut-shamed and I mean, really, really thought poorly of by anyone who owned a Bible. Yes. <laughs> so, but the controversy in this video actually wasn't even in the commercial. It was that they used this song in the commercial, the music video for which shows Madonna kissing mm-hmm. a black saint. I watched this music video today. Did you really? Yeah. Are you serious? You're kidding me. You didn't even know we were going to talk no, about it. No, I did not. What are the odds? I think it was the most popular song in 1989. I was like, I've never seen that music video. And it was weird oh so you did research. but i thought no i didn't <laughs> but i thought this was probably extremely edgy in 1989 it was yeah so she used all of this like catholic imagery in the video and people went nuts mm-hmm. about this thing so did you watch the music video or you watched the actual the commercial video. okay it was or the good. commercial and music video is significantly better than the commercial the commercial is like but they're different yes okay completely okay there's a lot to sort of dissect here <laughs> I mm-hmm. so you saw the video becca today for the first time I watched probably 75% of it, and then okay. I think I got an email. So this was your first time to like really see the video? <laughs> to fully focus, yes. Zach, had you seen it before? I knew the controversial parts of it. Okay. Burning let's, crosses. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. so let's just like talk through the storyline. Like if we were to storyboard what I, happened. We watch her walk essentially in lingerie that's basically falling off the whole time mm-hmm. into a church building. She kisses a mannequin's foot, and it comes to life. <laughs> And it leaves. Mannequin might have fed people on top of the music video. What'd you Wasn't say? it a saint? Wasn't he supposed to be a saint? Well, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's like a statue. <laughs> it's not like a Foley's mannequin. Don't look at me. I have no idea. <laughs> but he kind of looks like it. It's like it's a right, creepy yeah. crying yeah. mannequin. Mm-hmm. She kisses his foot. <laughs> he walks outside. And then eventually we see Madonna watching a woman get murdered and doing nothing about it. Mm-hmm. The mannequin man comes and tries to help and he gets arrested for it. She does nothing to help him. And then she dances in front of a field of burning crosses. Don't yeah. forget when she free falls through clouds yes. into the arms. Only after being tossed by a choir singer. But the fact yeah. that the commercial was controversial only because they aired it <laughs> as a commercial on the Cosby show. 
and people were reminded that she had done this music video. Was the Cosby show the Super Bowl? Because that commercial was like two minutes Very, long. very long. Yeah. So in the 80s. It made me want a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a Pepsi commercial, which is amazing. <laughs> in the 80s, that was the thing. I remember watching the premiere of Michael Jackson's mm-hmm. Bad video mm-hmm. in a commercial spot. Like network TV would do that sometimes with these mega kind of huge stars. But it's just amazing to me <laughs> that like the controversy and all that was not the burning crosses. It's that she kissed a black man. That is interesting. And that this person who we are slut shaming and whatever is not Bill Cosby. It's not the person who has <laughs> gone on to be. It's the, girl who dan- tell. it's the girl who danced in lingerie in front of little boys and girls. Yeah. There's plenty of reasons for this to have been controversial among Bible carrying people. But I'm more offended with. The storyline of the commercial. Yeah. In that, <laughs> what was it? Make a wish. <laughs> yeah. It seemed very dramatic for a soda, in my opinion. Yeah, I And agree. also, having watched that music video, anytime I hear that song like come on in my car, I leave it. It's an upbeat little boppy ballad. Like I like to dance to it. Yeah. It comes on at 89. <laughs> it's not that great. Well, having watched the music video and picturing what I'm in a picture whenever that comes on, I'm just like, it's the most depressing song I've ever yeah. heard. Because like now... Days whenever you watch TV shows or something and they talk about controversial music videos from back in the day and like things that made a big impact on pop culture. Like, I didn't even know about the Cosby Show commercial spot. All I know is about the burning crosses. And maybe that's just like Mm -hmm. with the times, like people realize, oh, that was the problematic part. She's just been problematic her whole life. For being a second rate soda, Pepsi like really brings the controversy in their commercials. They had Kylie Jenner thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, they caught Michael Jackson's hair on fire. Like, they were not doing great. I don't know who they're marketing. You need to get some consultants (laughs) in there or something. (laughs) I also don't like that I corrected you on which Jenner sister was in the Pepsi commercial. Kendall. Oh, yeah. you're right. I, know. I hate oh my myself. Gosh. I literally don't know which one's this. So. <laughs> I'm so disappointed. I should know better. Okay. So as folks who grew up really in the 90s, mm-hmm. maybe even a little bit in the 2000s. Okay. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Like, still growing. Yeah. Still, every day. I'm every curious, day. when you think back on the 80s and specifically like late 80s, what comes to mind for you? For me, it's the fashion of it. Mm-hmm. What people wore, the neon, the hairspray, everything like that. All the stereotypes that you hear about it. Yeah, just kind of a vanilla decade. I don't know. I mean, it's... Really? Wow. Yeah, like, if I could go back in time and live in a decade, it'd probably be the 80s. It seems like the least problematic things happened. Are you kidding? Madonna yeah. kissed a black <laughs> mannequin saint. How dare you? It seems you? <laughs> like a really nice time to... I mean, but I feel like that's like nostalgia. Like, you always look back and think, that would be nice. Well, because you have like the, what's his name? The director that did like Pretty in Pink and Yeah, all that. I think it's like a John it's, Hughes thing. Yeah, it's a romantic. Yeah. I almost said John Carpenter, but I think it's a <laughs> horror movie. Yeah. But like, it's very romanticized and stuff like that, but. There's horrible things that happen. Yeah, there's I mean, always horrible yeah. things that happen. They're happening right now. Exactly. <laughs> right outside the store. Man, that's amazing to me that you would think of the 80s as vanilla, where I think of it just as like crazy. The way people dress, the way people talked. The way, I mean, everything was Maybe just Maybe not vanilla, so like the color weird. and the clothes. Like it was wild, big hair kind of stuff i don't know why maybe vanilla is the wrong word chocolate (laughs) (laughs) and it's funny because like there are all these memes out there now where it's like whenever i think of the 80s i still think it was only 20 years ago or something like that whenever it's like much further but for me it's just kind of like cemented in time because that was the decade before i was born obviously and so growing up in the 90s or like if you were growing up in the 90s you were like obviously my age and so you were like young and so like the decade before like oh this was the 80s like mm-hmm. in the 80s we did this and in the 80s it was hairspray and in the 80s we did this and so for me it's like a bunch of nostalgic stuff that people have imposed upon me so my 
idea of the 80s is kind of like how I was brought up in the 90s, thinking about the decade before. So, but I'm curious for you guys to watch something like this because really y'all grew up in a generation that didn't really do music videos. I mean, I feel like that's like not really a thing now with the exception of Childish Gambino, but. Well, so like now maybe growing up in the 90s, I still had TRL. Yeah, I would watch that every day. And so we would have music videos, okay. but we would have 20 seconds of the music video. Yeah. <laughs> so that we could get back to I the. I would watch VH1 music videos like mm-hmm. in the morning, every top, day before Top 20 school. countdown, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And those are the channels like VH1 is where they did like the countdowns of the 80s, like best of the 80s or mm-hmm. I love the 80s strikes back and stuff like that yeah. where you yeah. learn all this stuff. And so that's how like I know what most of these 80s. So you watch all are. that as a kid. I you, loved all those. Kid, yeah. Like middle school and younger. Okay. Did y'all ever know what the box was? No. no. So there used to be a channel that you could just sit and watch this like scrolling menu. It looks like your cable menu or whatever. Like TV Like guide? TV Guide? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> but it would show which music videos you can call and pay like 99 cents. Oh, no. To enter the right code. And then that music video was on demand <gasps> on your TV. But you could watch what other people. And so like if there was a certain music video that people just loved, you mm-hmm. would see them you know, one person after another calling and paying and you would just have that same music video playing over and over and like over. Like a jukebox. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, but it no. was like the entire nation was on the same jukebox but wow. for music videos. That's super high tech. Yeah, it sounds like it, but if you saw it, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. No, we definitely did not have that. Or I didn't. Maybe you did. Mm, no. You were born in 88. Yeah, it's crazy to me that TRL is what you think of when I talk about music videos. Yeah. Whereas I think of like Thriller and stuff like this where it was like, they were these long form storytelling devices for musicians and and short form. I mean, but they were bigger than like the record. I mean, this is how you knew what bands to go buy their album was because you saw them on MTV. You yeah. see video after video after video on MTV. It's just crazy to me. Yeah. The only long form music videos I remember are very unfortunately trapped in the closet volumes. Oh, <laughs> I know. God. I'm just saying those were long. Like, you didn't watch those in high school? Of course I watched them. Everybody Becca, watched but I don't those want to talk about I know, it. but it's talk about problematic. The way it is. Can we? Yeah. <laughs> the thing <kidding>. is problematic. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's like all of the premiere music videos. Because also, TRL came on whenever I was still coming home from school. Mm-hmm. So, and that was before DVR and everything. So, I never got to catch these things. And so, all I had was whatever like top five down to one were. And by that time, since it was live television, by the time they got to the number one music video, if I wanted to catch Baby One More Time, <laughs> I was going to get two seconds of it. And then they would retire the music videos. I remember that being a yeah. big deal. Like you always wanted to catch whenever they retired the music videos because they played the full video through so that you could see it one last time. That's ridiculous. That. And then YouTube so, and became then it was a thing. YouTube, yeah, yeah. Was... And I was like, hell yeah. It's all back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to have you guys back in, I think, November to talk Steel Magnolias. <laughs> oh, done that's where we'll shine as that's, i understand we'll come it, into our own huge fans of steel magnolias <laughs> which at this point i have never seen but i will see it before that time, it might just so. be better to hear us talk through we can recite it line by line character by character juice by juice don't talk about me like i'm not here that's <laughs> just a taste <laughs> just a taste <laughs> i think i'm gonna need to watch it you're gonna need some tish- a tissue box yes <laughs> for tears okay <laughs> thank you for clarifying Beautiful. Thank you guys so much for being on. We'll see you again in a few months. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. I say us like we're a couple. We are. (laughs) (laughs) It's official. Oh, kids. It's adorable how they consider growing up with TRL the same as growing up with music videos. Huge thanks to Becca and Zach for sitting down with me this week. They're so much fun, and I look forward to bringing them both back on a lot over the next several months. 
So another thing that happened 30 years ago, a film released in theaters and took the number one spot at the box office for two straight weeks, catapulting actor Morgan Freeman into Hollywood's upper echelon with his portrayal of New Jersey inner city high school principal, Joe Clark. The film, Lean On Me. I rewatched this movie for the first time in 20 plus years this past week and was particularly moved by the powerful performance of actress Beverly Todd, who played assistant principal Joan Levias in the film. I did a little research and learned that this wasn't the first important project of Ms. Todd's career, having acted in the groundbreaking 1977 miniseries Roots, among many other things. She's appeared in multiple films alongside legendary actor Sidney Poitier, as well as other legends like Richard Pryor, James Earl Jones, Whoopi Goldberg, Jack Nicholson, Sandra Bullock, Don Cheadle, and even young Neil Patrick Harris before he became Doogie Howser, M.D. It was an honor this week to get to jump on a call with Ms. Todd to ask her about her experience on the set of Lean On Me. Beverly Todd, thank you so much for being a part of 30 Pop. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. I'm really delighted to be a part of it. Well, I'm delighted to have you. So I spent some time last week, I rewatched Lean On Me, which is turning 30 this week. And I hadn't seen it in a long, long time and was just really, really moved by your performance in that movie. Yeah, it's exciting. 30 years. Wow, time flies, doesn't it? Yes, it sure does. Yeah, I mean, I was nine years old when this came out. So, Baby, oh my goodness. Yeah, just a baby. Wow. So I want to ask you about, you played the character Joan Levias, and it never dawned on me until watching it this past week how huge a role that was. Really sort of the whole movie pivots on this one particular scene in which Morgan Freeman, Joe Clark, is trying to leave the school and you stop him. And he's sort of been walking all over you through this whole film and you make him stop and listen and you sort of put him in his place. And without that, I mean, the whole movie would fall apart, I think. I'm so curious about how that scene played out for you guys on set. Oh, it's really interesting. The day that we were going to shoot that scene, I looked at the role, just one little paragraph, and I went into Morgan. I said, Morgan, you know, we would have much more to say than this at this point in time in this film. And he agreed. So we went to the director and told him our concerns about it, that it was just an incomplete resolution to all this drama and trauma that had been going on. And he agreed, luckily. And so rather than shoot the scene, we improvised the scene the entire day. Wow. The writer was there, of course, uh, recording everything. And of course, they were recording it with sound. But Morgan and I literally just improv that whole scene, what we would say, what we would do. And the writer wrote it down and he edited it, brought it to us that evening. We learned it that evening and shot it the next day. Wow. It's really amazing that, you know, because the writer and the director agreed that the scene was incomplete and they thought the director thought, well, let's just improvise it. That's why that scene is the way it is today. Well, it's one of the most believable performances, I think, in the whole film. You seem really genuinely emotional in the scene. I rewatched it again this morning, actually, before we jumped on the phone, and I just continue to be compelled by it. I tell people all the time, you know, growing up in sort of white, middle-class, Texan suburbia, I'm very late to the party of feminism, but I've arrived now. And so when I watch this scene now, it just, it fires me up to see someone really kind of stand their ground. You know, Morgan's character is obviously the hero of the film, but he's also just horrible. I mean, he's <laughs> he's so awful and such an oppressor. 
And so to see someone sort of stand up to him and you know, put him in his place and then him receive that in the film. It's just beautiful. And so I loved it. Yeah, that's also one of my favorite scenes. And the beauty of that film also was that it was a true story and that we had Jill Clark actually there in the school while we were filming it so that Morgan got a firsthand look and approach to Joe Clark because Joe Clark was right there being Joe Clark. That's incredible. So how long after the actual events happened was this filmed? You know what? In terms of a timeline, when that happened, when it was filmed, it was not that far apart because Joe Clark hadn't retired yet. He didn't retire until after the success of Lean on Me. He was on the cover of Time magazine, and his whole brand became very well known as a result of that film, I mean, it probably, it might have happened anyway, but it was just a coincidental maybe that that came along at the same time that his star was rising and he was getting more attention because of the amazing work that he was doing there at that school. I'll never know that part of it, but I do know that Joe Clark was still a principal at the time we filmed that school, and he was still on active duty as a principal, so that he and Morgan had a special bonding because of that. And Joe Clark was not a people person. He didn't necessarily like people, or my impression of him was that he did not necessarily like people, but he loved those students. And Mm. he was very, very serious about wanting each one of those students to excel and do well. And so that was his primary reason for being there. And he didn't care about all the fluff and of conversation, of just idle conversation. He was just very committed to those kids and anything that didn't have to do with those kids, he didn't want to know. Wow. So I read somewhere that this was shot largely on set at an actual high school that was in session. Was it at the same actual high school where the story takes place? Yes, it was at the same actual high school. It's incredible. That was what was so amazing that we were at the same actual high school. Joe Clark was still teaching at that same high school And then here comes this film crew and these actors to capture all the reality that was happening in that school. And I think uh, John Alveson did a great job of directing that film because he stuck to what was happening. He didn't try to embellish anything. So all of those stories and everything that happened actually happened. That is crazy. It is crazy. Thank you so much for being a part of the show and for just giving us a few minutes of your time. I'm so happy to get to talk to you. I'm so happy to talk to you. We must do this again sometime. I would love that. Thanks so much, Beverly. I sure appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. What an incredible woman and what a joy to get to hear some of her story. If you want to hear more of our conversation as well as other deleted scenes from this and other Milieu Media Group podcasts, visit the Patreon link in the show notes for this episode and partner with us for as little as $1 a month. If you love this show and really want to help it grow and win some pretty fun 80s swag in the process, then take a couple minutes to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This week, we were giving away the sweetest gold fanny pack you've ever seen, and the winner is the author of this review, Scratching My 80s Itch. This is a great listen. It's been fun taking a trip down memory lane. Thanks to, and I'm not making this up, iTunes user Gunther Central Perk for that review. Be sure to email 30poppodcast at gmail.com with your shipping address to claim your fanny pack. To find out about the next 30 Pop giveaway, be sure to follow us on Instagram at 30poppodcast and on Facebook and Twitter at 30pop. Thanks so much for listening, friends, and huge thanks again to Becca Allen, Zach McKenzie, 
Randy Fuller, and of course, Miss Beverly Todd for being a part of this episode. We'll be back next week for episode four with a couple of my very favorite podcast guests. Until then, look at the one you love, get lost in their eyes, and invite them to lean on you. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>